there are times in your life where you're not going to be great, but that's okay because that's life. And you ask for help and you reach out to people. But more than that, you reach out to yourself because often we will talk to ourselves in the most negative way that we wouldn't dream of saying that to our partner, to our kids, to our friends. But why do we talk to ourselves in that way? Hello and welcome back to How To Be Happy, a podcast where we explore all the ways that we can live a happier life. Each week we're talking to happiness experts, some celebrities and ordinary people to see if they have a secret to getting more joy out of life. Today we're talking to Jess Rowe, who everyone knows. She's an amazing TV personality. She's got a massive Instagram following. She's just generally an all-around amazing and happy person. So we're going to talk to her about some of her secrets. But first, I'm going to have a chat to Nina about one of the things that we discussed today, and that's gratitude. Hello, Kate. Grateful to be here. Thank you. Nice. (laughs) So have you written down three things you're grateful for? Have you done that today? No. No. um, That's something. I, I was actually doing that during the the hand washing, the beginning of the hand washing, I would try and list things that I was grateful for because I just you couldn't. You mean during COVID? The, yeah, during yeah. the whole COVID hand washing thing. Okay. Make sure you're doing it long enough. Well, yeah. So, you know, like happy birthday twice. Yep, Maybe yep, I'm not yep. doing it long enough yep. then. But um, that I thought if you can sort of find a regular thing that you're doing, it's a good way to sort of bring it into the mix. Mm. But, yeah, I've gotten out of the habit of it. Are you doing it? Look, I am. I'm back into it. I've just started. I bought um, I bought gratitude books, which you don't need at all. You can just do it in your head or you can do it on a piece of paper. But I actually wanted to get my two girls into it and because I actually wanted to do an experiment around gratitude and do the whole 30 days because I think that you can't expect anything to have an effect after mm, two or three days. Absolutely. But the premise being, and there's, a, I think, a very well-known s- study that was done that showed that people who just um, wrote down or, or, or considered or thought about um, three things they were grateful for that day, and they did that over a period of about 30 days, had sort of increased levels of joy and appreciation and happiness in their life. And I think that just comes down to the idea that if you're always looking at the shit things mm. that are going on and you're focusing on all of the terrible things, they might be there, but it, it doesn't allow you to see all the good things. And we forget that there are a lot of good things going on in our life. So it's not a matter of saying, I'm grateful for my husband and my dog and my kids. You can't do that every day, but you might sort of say, I'm really grateful for the support of my husband. I'm really grateful that, you know, my daughter always does the um, dishwasher without being asked. That's not 100% true. I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> no, she actually... You're grateful for a miracle. She actually is pretty good, but... Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm I'm keen to see how it works. I haven't, mm. not sure I've enlisted them fully. We're, they're only on about day one, so okay. we're just going to crack on and see how we go. Your girls are teenagers, right? They are, but I think I think small kids can do it too. I think people talk about doing it around the dinner table, which can be maybe people think it's a bit hokey, but I think that there's some benefit in sitting around as a family and sort of saying what was good today. What good came out of today? What did you appreciate? What did you like? What was wonderful? What was a gift? You know, Mm. thinking in that way, I think is almost like, um, it's not like just positive thinking. It's uncovering 
it's an uncovering of the things that perhaps we're not always aware are happening that are good in yeah. our days. So tell me about it practically. Are you um, like what did you list today? Do you have a set number you try to get to? Um, well, look, I am just going for the three because that's what's in my little Kmart gratitude <laughs> <laughs> Eckhart Tolle and Kmart. As I said, you don't need to buy a Kmart gratitude book. You're just doing it on a notepad. But, um, but you know, I think that, yeah, I think three is enough. Um, I will probably do them tonight, although I did write down today I, I'm grateful for the support of my husband. He's a good husband. I love him. And I just wanted to remind myself that, that how supportive he is. So that's one thing. I've got to get the other two. That's lovely. And grateful for the rain. I'm grateful for the rain today. I don't mind oh, a rainy day every now and good. then. That's yeah. good. Yeah, I'm not ungrateful for the rain. Now you say it. I'm grateful <laughs> for the rain. I'm grateful for you, Nina. Oh. It's so great getting to know you during the making of this podcast. Thanks, Kate. And anything in return? <laughs> <laughs> Kidding. You're welcome. Excitingly, we're here today with Jess Rose. She's come into the studio, which is great because, uh, you know, COVID means that we're often looking down the barrel of an iPhone or an iPad. So welcome. Oh, Kate, it's lovely to be here. And so nice, as you say, to be face to face, because I think there's nothing, nothing beats conversations when you can actually look at someone properly. There isn't a screen in front of you. And sure, having Zoom and being able to still connect with people has been fantastic. But I do think there's still that barrier and that's, or that sort of pane of glass, for want of a better mm. word, that actually still stops you from really connecting with people. It's probably been quite good for people, though, in some ways, that sort of ability to hide behind a screen. It's oh, made us no, it, over, over the last six months. Everyone's <laughs> just been hiding in their houses. I'm sick of it. Um, look, Tell us what you're up to because, you know, you're you're not on Studio 10 and that's where a lot of people know you from most recently. I know you're on Instagram. You're a great influencer and personality still. But what else are you doing in your, in your, in your professional life? Well, I've got to be honest, in my professional life, it's been pretty crap this year okay. like so many other people. A yeah. lot of my work has gone. It's disappeared because a lot of my work has been talking to people, mm. hosting events, advocating for mental health, but doing that with people, with an audience. So all of that has dried up. So it's been hard. And like so many other people, you do have to reinvent yourself. And I think for me, I've tried very much through my whole life. It's been a series of reinventions. But I've really struggled this year because what I thrive on is people, is connecting with people, having conversations. And I find what I do is I'm in the supermarket and I do a you know, a bit of a song and dance routine lining up in the supermarket for people. And I'm sure they look at me, I'm behind my mask, and they're going, what is that crazy lady doing? Oh, they're probably like, what is that crazy Jess Rowe doing this time? I'm like, you know, if my daughters are with me, they're like, Mum, just be quiet. But I love, I miss an audience and I miss engaging and talking with people. So if anything, I suppose what I do is that I'm talking more in my daily life with people. Well, your husband must love that. <laughs> He's a good chatter too. Okay. I mean, we have a bit of a code because Petey, who reads the news for Channel 9, he is notorious for talking to everyone. And when we attempt to go out on date nights, which are pretty 
few and far between at the moment, I'll be looking at him going, please do not interview the waiter or the waitress. <laughs> like, we don't, they're very nice people so, and so, we've smiled. So quite quickly you've got the waitress sitting down, having <laughs> exactly. a chat with you, joining you for a and glass Petey's of wine. And Petey's got her life story, her oh. family's life story, what she's doing, what her interests are, if she's studying, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, Petey, this is our well, date that's, that's good. So when he gets home, he's up for a chat too. He's not like, Jess, I don't need to hear it. Well... But I think sometimes with me, he's just like, can you stop talking for a minute? <laughs> well, yeah, that, that, that can happen. So you talk about your career reinvention, and I think that's been one of the things that's been really people really admire about you. Have, do you get tired of the hustle, though? Well, I like to think of it as not being a hustle. I think sometimes in life, things happen that are beyond our control. But what we can control is how we decide to deal with it. Mm. That was a really good life lesson that my mum taught me. And it can be very easy, and I have done it, when something terrible might happen and then you think, oh, my God, this is I don't know what to do, and you blame everyone else, as opposed to thinking, well, this is awful. What am I going to do about it now? And so there have been various times in both my professional and personal life where I've thought, okay, enough wallowing, time to think, what can I do? How can I find a sense of joy? What can I do that will bring me a sense of happiness and contentment? And I think what I've learned over time is that changes. What brings you that sense of joy and happiness is different. What brought me joy when I was a teenager, when I was in my 20s, when I was in my 30s and 40s is very different to what brings me joy now at the age of 50. And I think that takes time to have that realisation that I used to think when I was younger in my 20s, you know, I was very career driven and I used to see my career as linear, as that each job would be mm. better than the last, mm. that you're climbing up the ladder. Mm. And I very much was quite strategic in thinking, well, if I do this, this will lead to this and that. But of course, life isn't like that all the time. And I've learnt, it's often in my crazy zigzags in my life, where I've learnt the most, but also had the most fun, because I've been far more open to situations and I've been far more vulnerable and that is often where the sweet spot lies and we have to be brave in taking those steps in actually going oh I don't know if I can do this or you know when I decided to leave Studio 10 I'd been there for five years it was the best job I've ever had in media because I think I was happy within myself I realized that I could be all parts of myself. I could be quirky, crazy, serious, debate things that mattered to me, but then also dress as a fart on Halloween. <laughs> you know, I could do all those things. And, and so I loved that job. But it came to a point where I thought, you know what, I'm not happy anymore doing this. And on the outside, people would say, what are you doing? This is your... Did people say you were crazy? Did you yes. talk to friends? Yes. Like, you know, when you said, oh, I'm thinking about going, were people like, what are you doing? Not so much friends, but people, lovely people who would have watched me on the telly, who'd stop me in the street and go, why are you leaving? Or you can't leave? Or you've left? No, you've got to go back. And But then when... I would, I mean, I'd find myself explaining to strangers and then I go, why am I explaining this to people I don't know? But how did it, you know it was the right decision? Because I listened to my heart. And too often we don't tap into our heart. And it, it could be 
different things for different people. It might be your intuition. It might be a feeling in your gut. Mm. But a sense of things not being right. Mm. And too often we ignore that. We try and be logical, rational, you know, think, oh, what do you mean this is a great job? You've always wanted this. You can, you know, it works in well with your life. Keep going, keep going, as opposed to listening to what your heart is telling you. And my heart was saying to me, you are tired, you are juggling too much, and you aren't happy. And what is going to happen if you don't make a change is you are going to take that out on the people closest to you. What do you have to prove anymore? Why do you have to keep proving to the wider world that you've got it? Can I ask you a personal question in the of sense course. that... <laughs> in the sense that giving up a, a career and a job, you've obviously got a husband, he seems to have a good job, but financially did that worry you that you were sort of oh, I'm giving up a salary and I'm just going to jump into the unknown. I'm sure you had a buffer, but was it a little bit of a hard step in that sense? Of course it was. And But I do appreciate that as a family, we're lucky. You know, PD does have, you know, touch wood, but a secure job in the media, if there are secure jobs in the media. But, you know, he, he's been at Channel 9 for a long time and I knew, and we, we, we knew as a family that we could very comfortably still survive on his salary. Mm. But of course, there would be some choices and changes that we'd have to make. But I did know that we were in a position where I could make that choice. And I do realise that for many other families, it's not as simple as that. that but they... it's also not a reason not to do it, is it? Because you've got that um, ability to do it. You can't then feel guilty and That's say, well, I right. won't do it. It's even more for me, it was even more of a reason to go, why are you not taking this leap of faith? Because so you can. It sounds like you've been, that that's not a new thing, though, that you have been guided by your heart or your intuition over the years. Is that something that developed for you early? Did you have that as a, as a kid? Do you remember that through your teen years and your 20s as well? I don't think I probably probably listened to it enough as a teen, but I think what I've always had is a sense of going for opportunities mm. and taking a risk in a, in a sensible way. Mm-hmm. So not risk-taking dangerously, but actually being open to making a change. Mm-hmm. And I think because early on in my life, perhaps, you know, growing up with a mum who has a mental illness, I realised that life wasn't perfect early on, but there were ways of trying to build a happy life and that there were things that you could do to make changes. And and I suppose for me early on, I thought career and doing something that was just mine was a way of carving out a happy path for myself. And then when I left school, I moved to Bathurst, which was a country university four hours west of, of Sydney, driving over the Blue Mountains. And that was a big step for me. And I think because I made that step early on, I realised you could actually do that. You could move cities, you could go somewhere where you knew no one, but you could give it a go. And I don't think if I'd done that so early at the age of, what was I, 18, that I, I don't think I would have been as comfortable then making other sort of risk 
taking decisions about, come on, just go for it. Well, it's realising you can do something, That's isn't it? That's right. You can, you can run to the top of the hill. Of you can, course you, you can. You can achieve something. And if you don't, you though, that's okay too because you gave it a shot. And I think early on I realised it's far better to actually say, you know what, I tried. I gave that a go rather than living fearfully. And I think the older I get, the more comfortable I am with facing that fear because the fear never goes away. It's not as if when now, although I'm 50, that I still make those choices or decisions. I'm still fearful about it. That's still there. But I think that the idea about being brave and courageous is you do it anyway. You feel the fear, but you go, you know what? I'm going to do this because the the benefits, the the opportunity, the the joy, the wonder far outweighs sitting back worrying or thinking, oh, I'll just lead, lead this safe little life. And I've never wanted to do that, to have a safe life. I've sort of thought, no, we only get one shot at it, so make it matter and go for these things. It's very inspiring. <laughs> and you've just reached your milestone 50th. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But I just want to take you back for, for a minute to talk about growing up, as you said, with a mother who had a mental illness. You seem to have extraordinary compassion around that. It must have been quite difficult. Were there times that you struggled? And how did you evolve to the sort of place that you've come to around that? Of course I struggled. And, and I think anyone who loves someone with a mental illness understands that struggle because you feel so helpless and powerless. And again, what I find so uh, moving but also confronting is those feelings don't leave me, even though I'm a grown-up. Mm. You know, earlier this year, my mum was terribly unwell and in a psychiatric hospital for four months. And that was during the initial lockdown. We couldn't see her. And I felt so powerless and so upset and angry that I couldn't fix her or help her. And and I thought, God, I'm a grown woman and I still feel like a part of me is that little girl. Trying to fix your mum. Exactly. Trying to make her feel better. And so, you know, makes me feel emotional just, you know, thinking about that. So it never leaves you. But again, you know, you talk about compassion. It It's given me a sense in my life that everyone has a struggle. Everyone is dealing with something. And it takes so many people enormous courage just to get out of bed, to get out the front door. And during these times, these awful uncertain times with the pandemic, there are people dealing with things that they haven't necessarily ever had to confront before. And I think that's, that's, a, whole, I mean, that's a whole other topic, but it, it's given me, growing up with my mum, it has given me compassion, a sense of knowing the world's not fair, but also knowing that we do have a choice about how we can deal with things that happen to us. Well, tell me a little bit about that because your mum obviously, you know, has, a, has an illness. 
how but you talk about sort of your ability to you know to still determine your way forward is that something she taught you in a way she deals with her illness or is it a way you've sort of had to veer off and and say well I'm not going to go down that path or what do you mean when you talk about that I think it's a bit of all of that and I think my mum has taught me so much about courage about resilience about hanging on mm. and also coupled in with that I used to think that if I could carve out a successful life for myself, I could insulate myself from any pain or heartache or mental illness. However, that's impossible. And so when I I had post terrible postnatal depression after Allegra, my firstborn, was born, and that brought me to my knees because I'd thought up until that point if I could be successful and make choices about how things happen to me, I could protect myself and my family, my immediate family. But that's impossible to do. And that was a really hard lesson for me. But at the same time, it was an, a gift because I learned to be gentler on myself. Mm. And I think we don't do that enough. And I think as women... We are far too tough on ourselves. We are too tough on ourselves to be perfect, to lead a successful life, to have the the successful relationship, the well-behaved kids, the amazing career and do it all brilliantly all the time. And when I had the postnatal depression and realised no, I'm, you can't. I'm, I'm, fa- I'm fallible. I'm flawed. I'm flawed. I, I can't be perfect. No, I can't. And exactly. I and can't. I'm vulnerable and, and I need help. Mm. And I used that's, to that's, think... That's, that, that would be hard, yes, I'd imagine, for someone really who's grown up, you know, trying to, you know, deal with a mum who, who had an illness. I would imagine that your role would be having your shit together. Of course. And I was the cheerleader. My mm. job in the family... One that I put on myself, no one else did, but my role was to be the the cheerleader, the sunny one, to always sort of put on the brave face, to tell the jokes, to keep the show on the road, to tap dance for everyone else. And that was very good because it actually was perfect training for a career in the media. (laughs) (laughs) It was where you have to keep the show on the road, Mm -hmm. where you have to keep your smiley face on and be consistent and regardless of what else is going on. So that helped me to a point, but it didn't help me when I realised I needed to ask for help. And that was the hardest thing I've ever had to do, ask for help, but it was the best thing I ever did. And it's taught me to be compassionate on myself. And and that's why I talk about it still. A lot of people will go through a similar sort of situation. You know, postnatal depression is so common. We don't talk about it enough. And that's why I talk about it, because I want to sort of show to people, hey, it's happened to me, but there is a way through. It doesn't have to define you. And and hope, I think, is such an important thing that we all need to have a sense of hope in our lives and to travel hopefully through our lives. Mm-hmm. And I remember when after I'd asked for help and then when I started to get better I started to feel hopeful again and that's the best feeling when when you've lost that and when previously I had been an optimistic looking outwards person and then suddenly when I lost that 
that was such a terrible thing to go through and to experience, but to have that sense of hope and optimism return, I'll never forget it. It was actually I was standing on my front lawn and Allegra was sleeping. She was probably about nine months of age, 10 months, and I suddenly started to smell the jasmine on our um, back fence and I hadn't smelt that in such a long time, even though it had been flowering for a while. But it was that lovely, sweet sort of... And it wasn't like suddenly I was better, but it was that lovely sense of, oh, my goodness, I can smell that. I can smell that sweetness. I can feel that there's a change in the wind, a lovely shift. What were some of the things you did do to sort of to, to, to bring yourself back? How did you, you asked for help, but what were some of the other things you did that helped you make your way back to a, a more even path? Well, the number one thing was asking for help. I spoke to my mum, first of all, mm-hmm. because I knew she'd understand, which she did. And she made me promise her to tell Peter and then also to tell my doctor what I was feeling. So I made my mum those promises. And so when I told Petey, that was the hardest conversation I've had to do in my life because previously I'd felt that I was letting him down and our brand new family down. But Petey being the beautiful man that he is, he just took me in his arms and he said to me, it's going to be okay. And that was what I needed to hear. I didn't need to hear judgment or being fobbed off or don't be ridiculous, what have you got to be depressed about? Because on the outside, what did I have to be depressed about? And we then, he organised for me to see my doctor the next day, who then, she organised for me to see a psychiatrist the very next day who specialised in postnatal depression. And I saw her a number of times a week where I would pour my heart out And that was the start of my recovery. I also began medication and I had no qualms in taking medication because I'd seen what it had meant for my mum's life. Of course, bipolar is very different to postnatal depression, but I knew I was going to do whatever it took to get back to being me. So antidepressants helped me enormously. And... I continued to see my psychiatrist and, and I'm still a work in progress. It's not as if... I've got it all together all the time. No, you can't you can't live like that, of can you? You can't. No. And and that's what I've learnt. And that's what I think is part of that cliche, but that that part of the getting of wisdom that you realise there are times in your life where you're not gonna be great. But that's okay because that's life. And you ask for help and you reach out to people. But more than that, you reach out to yourself because often we will talk to ourselves in the most negative way that we wouldn't dream of saying that to our partner, to our kids, to our friends. But why do we talk to ourselves in that way? And that's still a work in progress for me. Well, how do you keep those things like on a daily basis? What are those checks and balances you have? Some people meditate, they um, savour the moment. You probably know some of these sort of things. Some people um, practice gratitude. They have gratitude diaries, journaling. How, how do you make sure that you don't empty get... empty gratitude journals. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't everyone? <laughs> but are there, are there any sort of, um, sort of structures you put in your day to make sure that you're not falling into those patterns of that sort of negative self-talk or all those sort of things you talked about? I'm very bad at structure. 
<laughs> in terms of I'm not very organised with those things. And, and I appreciate, though, for some people, they can journal, they can write things down. As I said, I've got all these empty journals. But what I try and do is, even if it's just one thing, I'll think, well, what is my silver lining today? Or what is it that made my heart sing? And they'll be different things. And it's never the big things. And I think in life, often you're under the misapprehension that, oh, the job or the this or the that will make you happy forever. And this will bring all this sense of joy all the time. No, happiness is fleeting. And I think it's wrong in a way to say, I'm going to be happy or I'm going to lead a happy life. I like to think of it more as focusing on what is it that brings you joy? And yes, that might be fleeting. That might be just one or two things in the day. But if you can focus on that, then that's enough, especially now when there is so much uncertainty in the world and so much uncertainty over so many of people's health, careers, livelihoods. And so for me, I think, well, what what is it that brings me joy. And today, already what I think, and it made me laugh, Petey and I, we've got a, a puppy dog called Daphne, who's hilarious. She's a Maltese Shih Tzu and she's little. And we took her for a walk around the block and Petey was leading her because she she takes, like we dawdle, I, and, and I'm a dawdler because I look up at the trees and the birds and daydream and Petey's like, come on, hurry up. And so he was running ahead with her, but he was sort of calling her and he had her by the lead and I was laughing because he's tall, he's 6'4", and Daph's minute. And it was like he was on the, that Crufts sort of dog show, like he was holding the lead up and they were both like bouncing along. And that brought me joy. That made me laugh. And, and so I think for all of us, we need to look for those small things. It's not about the big grand gestures in life. It's, well, what are those small wonders or those small things that you laugh about? And for me, I do love to laugh. I like to not take myself too seriously. I am a crap housewife and I love posting my crappy meals and I've just got into my daughters roll their eyes like, Mum, what are you doing? Um, I've bought all these silly hats that match my meals. So I've got... Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I've got to see that. I can't wait. So we'll have... I've cooked chicken last night and I've got a chicken hat. So I was wearing <laughs> the chicken hat to cook the chicken and then we're watching the news, Giselle and I and Allegra. Well, actually, Allegra was upstairs on social media, so she wasn't watching the news, but Giselle and I were watching Petey on the news and I still had the chicken hat on and Giselle's going, Mum, you're, you're looking serious, you're nodding, listening to the television, but you've got that hat on. you got a Take chicken hat off. on. I love it. <laughs> so things like that make me happy, being silly. And, and also, I think, surrounding yourself with good people, with good friends, and it's not about having a massive group of friends, but a handful of people who get you, who make you feel good about who you are, who make you laugh, who listen. And and that also is what brings me joy and makes me happy is my the friendships of people that I have, you know, a handful of beautiful men and women who we just laugh when we're together or or we or there are times when we are serious and we listen and we, we're there for one another. And they're the, they're the things that matter. And so there, I mean, that's a huge, I know, very weirdly 
wield the answer to your, well, what are the things you do in your life to, to, to be happy? But, uh, yeah, I look try and look for those small moments mm-hmm. and and more and more live in the moment. What are the messages you think you've got two teenage girls growing up in a world of social media? And we know that in centuries past, people went through some hardships. But when I think about the hardship of social media, I'm, oh, so, terrific. I'm so grateful terrific. that I was not, well, it wasn't around when I was young. I mean, you know, just everything from the photographs that people take that are just there forever on the internet to that constant scrolling, looking at people living that great life. You've got a social media presence yourself. It is a very real presence. But what do you talk to them about? What are the lessons you sort of teach them around social media and around, uh, I don't know, living their best lives? It's hard because Allegra, my eldest, who's 13, going on 30, you talk, but then she'll roll her eyes and go, yeah, whatever, mum. Like, you don't know or you don't understand, which is very common for a teenager to do. I'd say that to my mum, even though we didn't have social media, but she'd try and recommend or suggest things. So I, for me, it's this whole scary new world of how do I guide my teenage daughters through this really rocky time in their lives and I don't know I don't have the answers and I'll be very open with that that some days I feel like yeah I got did a good job there or other days go oh that was really bad mm. <laughs> I didn't handle that the right way or I got impatient <laughs> or I walked away or I didn't listen when I should have what I try to do more and more is to listen to them to not think, okay, now I'm going to sit down and talk to you about why you shouldn't post that picture. That doesn't work because, or it doesn't work for us because they're like, why are you suddenly bringing this up now? Like, You have I'm, to hear their experience. That's right. Or you have to wait for them to come to you or, or there might be an opportunity where you think, oh, I could mention that here. And also to be open to that, to actually be listening for that. It mightn't be the ideal time for you. You might be busy doing something else or preoccupied over here, but you need to listen to them. So that's what I'm trying to do better, to listen to where they're at, their conversations. I... You know, I joke that I'm sort of their Uber driver, but I don't mind that because that's when I can listen in on what they're chatting about or not chatting about. There's something in those side-by-side conversations. Mm. And not even conversation, eavesdropping. What What are they chatting about with their friends or those sorts of things? So I think, again... I don't reckon that there's a one-size-fits-all way of doing it. I think we, as parents, have to be gentle on ourselves, but also listen. That's what I'm trying to do. Listen better and also still remember that we are our kids' role models and the way that we conduct ourselves in the world, they're learning from that all the time and they're sponges. So don't underestimate the impact of that too. So let's let's get to the milestone birthday this oh, year. 50! 50. 50 this year. <laughs> what, when did that happen? During lockdown? It did. Well, in June. 
So, end of June. So was there any celebration? Was there was there any ability to celebrate? I can't well, remember where we were at. there was a celebration. It was, you could still, some restaurants were opening up and you could have small groups. Well, and I didn't want to have a party. I really didn't want to have a party. It's funny, I'm one of those people, even though being in the media and all of that, I don't like to be the centre of attention. I actually get quite shy. I don't want the focus on me. I'd rather put it on other people. So I, I didn't want a party. So it wasn't as if I thought, oh, no, I can't have a big party. But my sister was lovely. She organised for a dinner just with with my sisters, my best friend, and, and we went out to dinner and it was fabulous. The, the actual night of my birthday, we had a family dinner, and which was wonderful, just at our local pizza restaurant. And then Petey took me. We went to a beautiful hotel for two nights. Sounds and that perfect. Was, it was perfect. And I couldn't have had a better birthday. And I remember at each of those moments at the family dinner looking around going, how blessed am I? This is what more could I want in my life? And and the same with, with the dinner, the surprise dinner that my sister organised and then Petey taking me away. I thought... I am content. And I think that that is what is important for all of us to consider. Are you content with where you are? As opposed to, am I happy? Am I happy all the time? But it's, am I content? And is this bringing me joy? Well, that's a beautiful place for us to end, knowing that this is where you are, 50th year and many more years to come. It sounds like the next stage of your life is going to be just a great adventure. Really happy to speak to you today, Jess. Thank you for coming in. It's been wonderful to talk to you. No, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. We'll be back next week with more insights and stories from Australia's happiest people. Until then, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and make sure you drop us a rating and a review. 